Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Jose, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yes. Hello. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. Uh, I think you're doing a great job there. Um, I'm, uh, my name is uh, Jose. I'm Dr. Martinez Raga. I'm a psychiatrist from Valencia, Spain. I'm head of psychiatry in in, a, in, in one of the local catchment areas in, in, in Valencia. I'm teaching at the university and I'm coordinating one adult ADHD clinic. It's one of the few clinics in Spain within the our National Health Service specifically, specifically for uh, adolescents and adults with ADHD. How'd you get interested in ADHD? I mean, when, when, when did that start? <laughs> well, um, um, I, I mean, I guess it's part of why I'm interested in psychiatry. I mean, it's uh, always, um, uh, I think most of us uh, doing psychiatry, we are puzzled with the, with the uh, un unknown territory that the brain is and the, the mind is. And uh, probably is is the, the next frontier to explore more than than the moon or anything. And then within within the mind and within the brain, um, ADHD, I've, I've been doing for many years addiction. So I, I like to do to, to difficult um, disorders and difficult issues. And uh, um, the, on one side, I mean, I, I trained in London and, and in London there's larger tradition of uh, ADHD, um, partly because, I mean, child psychiatry was, um, it was one of the initial um, points where child psychiatry was born, but also um, it was one of the first clinics uh, that trained the mostly where um, they had uh, an adult ADHD clinic. And then if, you, if you're doing addictions, um, you realize that uh, a large percentage of your patients are different in a sense of uh, having um some symptoms that are not solely explained by personality by the the drug addiction itself and uh, that's why um adhd is so frequent among uh individuals with a substance use disorder and then when i moved to general psychiatry i decided to to uh, go a, a search a bit deeper into into this field and um, and i asked more about the ad addiction to, i went to school for chemical dependency so I'm just curious, is it the compulsive aspect of ADHD that causes the addiction aspect of things? I mean, it's compulsive. I'm a compulsive workout person. It's not that I'm addicted to working out. It's more about just I have the need and drive to go do that, but I can easily get sucked into any other substance of any other sort, but I know the dangers of those things, and I choose working out to be the less addictive one. So, I mean, is it the compulsive aspect in the behavior? Is there just something else going on? Um, it's it's a very good question, actually, and and um, I don't think it has a, a, a real answer to that because I mean, for for many years, it was uh, thought that it was more common with uh, those ADHD individuals with uh, predominantly hyperactive or um, um, presentation, and uh, but uh, it appears across the the three uh, subtypes or, or the many different presentations of ADHD. And um, um, I mean, it's in, in often, I mean, even with the purely inattentive type, I mean, the, the, the often the difficulties in in um, fitting into into the so social group also makes them and more vulnerable. Then I'm very minded, for instance, one of the um, uh, more one of the common feature of ADHD it should be one of the diagnostic criteria somewhere in the future is the uh, the mood dysregulation that uh, is 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 present in among ADHD. Therefore, having problems with self-esteem and having problems with uh, the whole affective uh, component is very common, and that makes some of, some of the ADHD um, groups more vulnerable. But at the end, at the, at the other at the other end, I mean, of course, the, the very impulsive. ADHD subtypes are also very, very uh, vulnerable to, to to substance use. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it's more an individual predisposition than than a, a phenotype. Who do you see have more? I guess of the certain categories or subtypes. So, like, what's what's a more prominent one? Is it the hyperactive? Like, I have hyperactive. Um, yeah, I would even probably throw maladaptive dreaming up there as well. Daydreaming. Um, 
I didn't notice I was doing that when I was doing like six hours of cardio until I talked to someone about ADHD. And he was like, you should probably look into that. I realized oh, that's exactly what I do. I create a scenario in my head and I just go off and then six hours goes by like it's nothing. I mean, that could also link into the time thing that I'm having an issue with. I keep missing chunks of time thinking that you know, next thing you know, we're already in May. And I thought it was April. So there's issues there, obviously, but I feel like I can try and find ways to coordinate those out. But what's the most prominent one? I guess, is it the hyperactivity? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, um, the the hyper the hyperactivity is probably the more uh, resonant, the more um, the more visible type of ADHD. But uh, um, in in adults, the the most common type is the. Well, I mean, across the whole lifespan. I mean, particularly in adults, uh, the inattentive, and and it's very common, for instance, that uh, children. Uh, that uh, whose who, who symptoms become very very apparent at the early childhood. Uh, first, uh, the during childhood are, are primarily hyperactive. Then, during their adolescent years, uh, a combined type with both inattentive and and hyperactive. And then, when they become adults, the, then the hyperactivity tends to resolve, um, and uh, the inattention uh, stays. That's also one of the issues. Is that because like life, life beat them down to where they don't have any energy left in them? Is that like a common thing with this? I know adult ADHD, it's harder to diagnose either because they're managing their symptoms with however they're managing their symptoms. But so, No, I, I don't agree with that necessarily. I mean, I, I remember some years ago, I was with uh, with a colleague who, who is a child psychiatrist and, and he said, oh, I don't know how you manage to diagnose uh, ADHD in adults. It must be very difficult. And I said, well... Um, for me, it's very difficult to diagnose in children. It's a matter of how I, I don't see children. I mean, I, of course, I, I I was trained when I when I did my my training, but uh, that's it. And uh, I, if you not continue, there's a totally different world to to assess and to to explore children. And for me, it would be much more difficult because I'm and, and it's a matter of of being familiar of what you what you're looking for. And at the end of the day, I mean. One one of the issues that we face with ADHD among many colleagues is that the, um, they are not uh, uh, sensitive or sensible, sorry, sensible to or sensitive, sorry, to detect ADHD, um, and uh, often it gets misdiagnosed, partly because of uh, inattention, but mostly also because uh, ADHD rarely comes alone, and and over eighty percent of ADHD individuals have another psychiatric disorder which may be may, which may appear to be more disturbing but in actual fact fluctuates around the ADHD what's another let's let's put a more common another disorder that they might have well um uh, well uh, i mean like in general population in uh, depression and anxiety are the most common uh, disorders but bear in mind that uh, there are large epidemiological studies showing that ADHD individuals have approximately six times uh, higher risk of developing an anxiety disorder, uh, seven times higher risk of developing a depressive disorder, eight times higher of developing a bipolar disorder, or uh, it's two to three times of developing an eating disorder, or three times of developing a substance use disorder. So across the whole spectrum. Um, for instance, if we focus solely on, on in, in the addiction population, we, we know that in general population, in adults, it's it's between 5-8% the prevalence of ADHD. And that's what the latest epidemiological studies are showing across the world. In, in the addiction population, it's approximately 25%. So one in every four individuals with an addictive disorder has ADHD in, uh, as well. Now, if you're showing up to treatment and you're addicted to cocaine or to cannabis or whatever, um, what are you likely to see? What's more, um, what's more um, apparent? But unless you treat the underlying disorder that makes, that perpetuates the, the addictive disorder, you're only going to be partially effective. Are you are you basing the, the depression and anxiety stuff off the the reason like someone has ADHD they are more likely to develop depression and anxiety and that depression and anxiety can lead to substance abuse? Um, not necessarily. I mean, um, in in some cases, I mean, in some cases yes, but in some cases not. 
So very mind to going back to to numbers and to what the research says. And, and so as I said, about eighty percent of adults have, have another psychiatric disorder, the whole spectrum. Now about about eighty percent of them have at least two psychiatric disorders. So the likelihood of having depression plus uh, substance use disorder or plus eating disorder or plus uh, anxiety disorder is is much higher than general population. Because a, a hyperfixation aspect of something? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, as I said, uh, one one of the key issues is the uh, the mood regulation that uh, underlies ADHD and is part of. Uh, I mean, very mind that the. I mean, ADHD is a dysfunction of, of, of one part of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, which um, um, is the, the part of our brain, which is the most sophisticated part of our brain, where all the information that we get from the outside and from the inside gets uh, analyzed, filtered, and then our actions. Now, often, and that's part of the problem of the diagnostic criteria, that they um ambassad it in a more mechanical manner but what uh, we are human beings and therefore our emotions are part of it and so therefore all the external in out inputs uh, on, of our emotional of our interaction with other human beings or or with other uh, uh, elements uh but also our internal feelings uh analyzed and, and scrutinized with all the mechanical elements of our while functioning, so as I said, I mean, uh, integrating all the all the um, all the information that we get from our uh, actions and from our interactions with mechanical interactions or physical interactions with other human beings or other other elements that we do on a daily practice. That's part of what our prefrontal cortex does. But also integrating that with all our emotional. Um, um, uh, Part of our brain and also all the emotional inputs that we get from the outside yeah being overstimulated for instance can create a lot of yeah but also not only dread. that not only being overstimulated because that's that can be part of it but also uh, uh, being desynchronized in some way so for instance uh, am i laughing when i should be hugging someone or when i should be just quiet um Am I react? Am I doing the the proper reaction, or does it mean that I should be uh, that I'm being praised or I'm being criticized? And that's not solely the uh, physical interpretation of the words, but also how we emotionally uh, react to those words. I think I get what you're saying. I guess it will depend on the context and depend on the person. If a person no. came up to me and said something that a friend would say to me and I'd have a different reaction to because I knew how my friend was. But if it's just a random stranger that might be trying to break conversation, might say something, I might receive it a different way. Sure. But for instance, let me let me give you, uh, there, there's a, a group of ADHD of, um, and generally hyperactive ADHD, which, for instance, when they are kids or when they are adolescents, they tend to be the the joker in the class. And they believe they are very funny, and they are believe they are very popular. But actually, uh, when you ask any of their classmates, they say they are absolutely fed up with them because they don't know when to stop. They don't know when when it's enough to to say a joke. Not because they are they are uh, harassing anyone, because not so, simply because it's time to to do something else. And. Uh, not knowing when to stop, not knowing when to to be funny, when not knowing when to to be serious, is part of this emotional understanding of what's going on. Okay, I get that. Yeah, I relate to that a little bit. Definitely was called annoying more than once, um, and through school. But I also feel like there wasn't a whole large amount of information on ADHD when I was in school. There was a large amount of this person's just something about his personality. It's just not normal. It's not, and that, that, that word also, like even the word disorder, I kind of have a little bit of a problem with. Because when you start talking about emotional irregularities and you start talking about these things, immediately my head goes to bipolar disorder and other things that seem like a little bit more of a problem because you don't know if someone could just snap at the flip of a hat. Like even I talked to Steve, oh God, Stephen Ferrone, I think his last name is. I don't want to mispronounce his name, but he was talking about being over, like 
people that could be angry when they're driving with ADHD. And I just mentioned, I mean, the way you would describe ADHD being angry driving, I would just say reactionary. I mean, everyone's reactionary when they drive, except ADHD people don't necessarily know where that filter or that bound is. There are some things that I tend to not know where the stopping line is, but I'm not going to chase anybody down and go after their car. That would be insane. But no, exactly. that's... Yeah. So anyone can react in a particular way, but when this happens more than what it should happen to anyone like you, just your education, your your condition and everything, in the same um, situation, it's when this reaction is not normal, to say the word. Now, um, um, uh, what, what, were you, what were you asking before? Um, sorry, I love my track. Um, I would say a lot more people, ADHD, would spend a lot more energy trying to maintain a certain look like they aren't doing much, trying to put down their symptoms more. You know, that's why when you said that it's actually harder to diagnose and or easier to diagnose in adults, I would say that it's to me, it just looks like, I mean, at that point, people have learned the social scaffolding. There are certain situations at the buildup where I can't have the outbursts and I can't do this type of thing that I want to do because I know it's not fit for this social situation. Yeah, well, yeah, but um, uh, to a certain extent, actually, what, what actually happens is that when, when you have certain uh, obstacles in, in, in how to react or in, in, in the way you interact with other people from, from childhood, what you, you learn is to adapt to that. So, for instance, if you know that you're gonna, you, you, you will have difficulties the following morning trying to, to see where you left your keys, your phone or whatever, what you instinctively do is um, prepare a, a place uh, at, the, your end, at your house entrance or at, the, at the, your room entrance where you, you leave your keys, your, your wallet and, and whatever. Now, for, if, for whatever reasons, uh, imagine you have to go to the toilet or the, ring, the phone rings and, and uh, you, you, you cannot leave your things at that spot. Forget it. You will lose a lot of time the following morning trying to find uh, your stuff. What I mean is all these compensating measures is what is, is I believe what you were mentioning earlier. Let me go back to one of the things you were pointing out. You know why we call it disorder instead of disease? I think we could find a better name than both those. No, it, it, we, we differentiate within illness, disease, and disorder, um, depending on, on whether we're focusing on symptoms or we're focusing on the functional impairment that uh, the symptoms cause. So we, we call disorder when actually uh, we, we are focusing on, on the functional impact. So... In, which in the case of ADHD, we when we diagnose, we we have to to identify a certain amount of inattention or hyperactive symptoms, hyperactive impulsivity symptoms. But those uh, symptoms need to be present in more one situation. So if you only have problems in school, um, you, you're not going to have ADHD. You're going to have something else. Okay, so you need to identify that symptoms are present, but they are present in more than one um, situation, and that's why effect. And and see, uh, I remember a patient who is actually a, a colleague, is a, a doctor, and 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 she asked me to to assess her. She was in the forties back then, and uh, she said, "Well, what's the point? I mean, you you seem to have a." a, a, a a very successful life. You're, you're a doctor, you're married, you have children. And she said, well, look, I, I've actually calculated and, and I, I waste approximately two and a half days per month because of ADHD. And not that time of time that we waste doing nothing because we are just uh, in the couch or whatever. It's that time of, of time that we waste going back home to pick up things that we forgot when we left initially or wasting time to go uh, trying to to see where we left our paperwork or or trying to where we are procrastinating because we have to do paperwork at at, at work and so forth or where, why we have we always go to this with this in the same route to work regardless of how traffic it is because that's the the way our brain has learned it that's interesting was that person diagnosed later in life yeah okay as I was about to say, me being born with it, I, I, 
find certain measures where I'm not that forgetful. Like it's not a common thing with me on certain things. I pre-plan a lot of stuff as well too. The only issue is the task overload is a big problem. Um, I take on 50 different tasks and seem to always kind of finish it right at the last moment. But if you don't give me a deadline on something, that task is never going to be completed. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, if we do just simply by combining the different symptoms, and we have almost 200 different phenotypes, um, and that's just by solely symptom combination, but I mean, at the end of the day, each patient is different. But see, um, one of, for instance, when we diagnose, and uh, for instance, we are, we are assessing concentration, um, and we ask whether you, you have difficulties in, in finishing a book or in staying for a long time in a task. Um, that's accepting in those issues where you have a particular interest. So um, you may, and, and often, for instance, we see that, uh, for instance, with, with a TV show, with a series, um, one of these, um, that um, may happen with everyone, but more often patients with ADHD may see the whole um, uh, season or, or several seasons in, in a row uh, during during a couple of days or a week, uh, because they cannot wait for the next episode, or if they for whatever reasons they break and they have to wait a, a week for the next season or for half the season, they may forget about it and and, and move on, regardless how captioned they were about the the season. Are you talking about you're talking about hyper focus, right? Yeah, there is a hyper focus as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah but some, it's a hyper -focus some people call that a superpower. Issues. In specific issues that you have a a very a, a very personal or very uh, intellectual interest, but for other things it's it is very difficult to to focus. And and that's beyond what happens with non ADHD people. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I, I know some people call it an ADHD superpower. I don't necessarily consider it a superpower. I mean, I learn a lot from it. Like if I learn about a topic, that's why my show covers a wide range. I usually get focused into something and try and learn as much as I can about it. But there's also like lack of interest in other things as well, too. And your mind kind of just sets focus on that one specific thing. It's like I watched Bob Ross yesterday. Right now, like I'm thinking about painting as much as I'm like trying to think about ADHD. It's just there's that little part of my brain that's like, you could be trying to do this. Now, I learned painting really quickly and it does look really good. But it's also when you're talking about everyday tasks, that's not an easy thing to do when you're working and you luckily exactly, I don't have probably... a job that's not... Yeah, for, surely, but probably in a couple of days' time, you forget about painting and something else has attracted your attention. Yeah. yeah. Because that's, again, and that's not what happens to non ADHD individuals. I mean, um, the, 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 the interest is not so intense and so, so short in a sense. Now, has there been studies to try and use that in a more positive manner instead of just trying to dumb down that part of the symptoms? No, of course. I, I think, and, and that's, I I I um, I'm glad you you mentioned that because I mean um, with any with any disorder I think especially uh, particularly with ADHD it is very important not solely to focus on the difficulties but on the on the on the healthy aspects on the positive aspects I mean and uh, partly in relation to what we mentioned earlier that um, individuals with ADHD develop skills to compensate some of the difficulties and so trying to focus all those all those skills that are there in in those abilities and those interests that are more personal to them is is one of the key elements as well for for growing out of ADHD can I, can you maybe mention some of like the positive or some of the skill aspects of things? I've noticed certain characteristics like loyalty a little bit, um, dependability, um, some things that I thought were just good work ethic in certain scenarios turn out. Yeah, not for instance, uh, yeah, let me, let me give you an example. I mean, um, as a, in principle, ADHD individuals are very inconstant. They, they have very difficulties in, in maintaining a, a task, but in contrast, they are very, uh, hard-headed, uh, hard they are very tenacious. And that's why they tend to try over and over again to, to do a task. So if we substitute the, the, the um, um, difficulties in, 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 in maintaining, in, in developing a routine by that tenacity, by that hard-headedness, 
uh, we can actually turn it around and make them success in, in daily tasks. So it is important to, to make them aware of that so that it's not just solely that you're very stubborn, that you're very hard-headed, but that can be a positive thing. So a lot of the overcompensation for finding another way to do a task that might be easier for a, an average person with non-ADHD mm -hmm. um, to complete. The overcompensation means you have to put in a little bit more work, but doesn't, uh, some people would also look at that as, I wouldn't say it being finding another solution to a problem, but kind of out of the box thinking as well too. And it just happens to be happenstance that because we were overcompensating, we came across that out of the box idea. No, because um, as I mentioned, in, for instance, in, in the example I, I mentioned earlier about um, putting things in, in your in your um, empty empty pocket spot, let me put it this way. If for whatever reasons you you forget or, or you cannot or whatever, then you cannot find them the following day. Um, so it only covers part of it. But it, it doesn't make you overcome the difficulties. And, and that difficulty in finding things, where, where did I left stuff? If you go to a hotel, if you go to, to a new place, I mean, you don't have your, your uh, preferential spot. And uh, therefore, the likelihood that you may forget to take something with you, it's, it's much higher. Or to go back to the to the place where you are. And, and so it only covers while you are in a, in your, um, in, in, in your, in your safety environment, in, in your, um, yeah, in your comfort, in your comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would have to, I'm curious if it's just the case by case basis. Cause I would have to ask about that person that's forgetting things. I'm like, what's their workload. If you're going on vacation, what are you thinking besides vacation? You should only be thinking if you're going to have a Mai Tai, a pina colada, or if you're going to go down to the hotel and maybe switch out a room key because you didn't like the room that you went into. There's only like certain scenarios that are limited to that area, but I feel like the, I don't know, the forgetfulness aspect thing. I don't, I try yeah, no, my hardest instance, to set methods for that. For instance, I was in a conference uh, uh, yesterday and uh, one of my colleagues, he's, he, he's been, he, he has a diagnosed ADHD and um uh, he's in his 60s and uh, was diagnosed a few some decades ago. Um, I saw him. Um, he arrived on 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 in the morning, and I saw him early afternoon. And he had already lost three hotel keys. Had to go back to the reception. That's something else. That ain't ADHD. I'm sorry, man. I've never had that experience in my entire life. You I haven't. Don't know how, that, that's no. like Alzheimer's, man. No, 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 not at all. You haven't. It hasn't. It hasn't happened to you that you left your key in the room. I've left. A, I've left a key once, maybe in a room before, not three times. I mean, everyone leaves their like same thing with losing your cell phone. There's people with non ADHD or any disorders in general that lose their cell phone. I know more people that don't have it that lose it more than I do. Fair, fair enough. And that's when that symptom doesn't apply. That's why each patient is differently. Um, so for each symptom, for instance, we have different examples that we have to identify. So that if, if for two or three examples of a specific symptom, there is a repeated pattern, that's when we point across it as positive. Um, so in your case, this wouldn't apply, um, but probably you would apply other, other aspects uh, of ADHD, as, as you mentioned, you, you have ADHD. So like simple, like if you saw a pattern of someone's aggression at certain moments that they were getting angry, would you be able to correlate it to the specific thing that's angering them? Or would you be able to find that there's a pattern of aggression on a particular well, situation it depends, in their life? It depends on whether it, um, it, uh, it joins with other symptoms. For instance, it is can be very common that individuals, it's one of the symptoms, one of the aspects that is very common, that individuals with ADHD have the tendency to to talk before th thinking. So how many times have you, that's one of the things that we, we question, uh, how many times have you thought, oh, I should have, uh, um, I should have um, bite my tongue or, or things like that in, rather than Every talking. day of my life. Yeah. Sorry? Every day of my life. <laughs> exactly. So, of course, that happens to everyone. But in, in non-ADHD individuals, it happens very rarely, very occasionally. In individuals with ADHD, it happens quite commonly. That's fair. 
Okay. I see. Then For instance, you... what you mentioned earlier with uh, traffic, uh, of course we get all we can get all wind up in traffic, but the tendency to 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 wipe the, the horn uh, because it, the the car in front of you has uh, has only passed two seconds and he hasn't moved it's much more common in those with ADHD than those without. I can see that. Okay. That's impulsivity, for instance. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, that would have to be a case-by-case -case basis, too. Exactly. I, the exactly. way I would so, look but, at that would be a if time you're solely, thing. If you're solely impulsive in that context, uh, that's something different. But if you put it, you, if you see that there's a, a that, that, uh, joins other symptoms of hyperactivity, um, um, being restless, uh, difficulties in relaxing in any situation, difficulties in, in putting your main your mind uh, without anything, difficulties in 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 staying uh, still in 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 any situation where you have to stay still. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you have you you get up. It it makes that you 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 move in your chair. So. Uh, that's examples that can that can emerge, but I mean there are many different examples across the different symptoms. Uh, but if you only have one problem in one specific area, that's not ADHD. That's something different, and let's explore what it is. Do you think a lot of this boils down to people's like the people with ADHD's perception of time because they move around? Like for me, I move around very quick. When you're talking about sitting behind a car that's not moving and the light's green, it just turned green, and my urge to be like, why aren't you going? I mean, a lot of people have that urge, but also a honk or something like that is just because this person feels like they've been sitting here for now five minutes. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not uh, present in all ADHD individuals, but it is very common that the concept of time is very different in both extremes. I mean, there are those who are absolutely sharp on time and they don't uh, tolerate any minute uh, delay by anyone in any given situation. And there are those who, oh, I'll be ready in five minutes and five minutes for them is nothing to do with what five minutes are for, for me or for anyone else. Uh, I have a friend who, who I always say when, when he says five minutes, say five minutes your time or my time. You know what I mean? Uh, or when you're meeting friends that they uh, say, um, let's meet at seven and, or they call, I'm, we are, we are downstairs waiting for you. And, uh, oh, um, I'm coming out. I'm, I'm almost ready. And you haven't even taken the shower yet. Or when you're, uh, when the, for instance, you you get, you finish earlier, you still have twenty minutes, and you start a task, which, uh, if you think carefully, you know it will take two hours, but you think you have enough time to finish the task in those twenty minutes, because time, your time clock is very different. I mean, how much does this boil down? Like how much would be a benefit if we had people like family members, friends, people that were in that person's life who had that type of disorder or ADHD to learn more about ADHD and have a more positive impact on understanding. Like my boss, for instance, kind of figured out that I had ADHD. I didn't have to say it. And they asked, I was like, yes, um, I don't think it bothers my life at all. They're like, no, I could tell you talk really fast and you're kind of like going, okay. Um, but they started researching a little bit about it. And the way they talked to me is how every other manager ended up learning how to talk to me. You just can't talk down to me because it just goes in one ear and out the other ear if you do that. But if you ask me to do something and kind of talk to me on the same playing field, it goes through and you know I'll complete the task because I've set something up myself to be able to do so. But that comes from education. That comes from learning. That comes from awareness about ADHD in general as well too. And we live in a – I don't know if it's changing now, but from when I was a kid and nobody ever even – talked about it or even accepted it saying it was in my in my head which is like that's the problem i feel like if the tides are turning wouldn't that just be better education and awareness to make it more comfortable and more adaptable in a situation where you can care for someone or understand what a person's perspective is who has adhd i'm not shooting down medication i'm not doing that i'm just saying that for everyone's got their own individual path in life and when we think about people like myself who necessarily don't want to use the medication or don't want to do anything like that i think there's ways to adapt with it to make it easier and you might have to take some sacrifices with it as well too if that's your path you want to take but also a lot of this comes from awareness too i mean being i'm more aware of people with bipolar disorder or anyone that has some type of condition that i necessarily don't experience myself but i try and understand ask them about it we don't do that as people which means that you have a large subjection towards whatever or this or people just stay away because they don't know and i think there's a large amount of 
non-education in ADHD. Some people still don't even consider that a disorder. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, but it, the same appear, appeals to, to depression and to anxiety. I mean, unless they, until they suffer. No, I fully agree with you. I mean, um, educating the surrounding is very important. I mean, for instance, with, with parents, what uh, often a very, a very um, structured environment at home uh, acts as a compensator of the chaotic uh, uh, prefrontal cortex of the of the kid. So it helps remodelating the, the brain. It helps adapting, and in a sense, it helps. It's it's part of treatment without knowing that it's treatment. So, for instance, having parents that sit with the the kid to to do the tasks, the homework, and 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 trying to have every every the, the, everything, trying to to help them learn routines and 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 and, 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 and yeah yeah exactly. So what you mentioned about work again, that's that's extremely important. And um, for instance. Um, it, it is very common in 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 certain there are certain jobs where ADHD are more frequent partly because they uh, path the the way to towards that type of of, of work and any time of non uh, um, non uh, sitting work non where you 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 may have uh, contact with clients or you may have other types of con where you are on the run in on 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 the way. Um, for instance, let, let me put you an example. I mean, usually sales salesmen, uh, there is a higher representation among those with ADHD, and they're extremely good because they are very intuitive, and that's another positive side about ADHD. Um, they are very uh, creative as well. They have, despite their poor social abilities, they have good social skills. What we mentioned earlier about uh, being outgoing. So they 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 may have the the some of the best statistics in in their in the in the sales in sales right now if you're very good in one job they usually they promote you and if they promote you they put you under behind the desk and then you have to do uh, administrative work um, the schedules timetables numbers and that's where uh, many ADHD individuals have huge difficulties and that's when they fail i would have thought it would have been the boredom aspect i feel like after usually with my job yeah that's how, that as well i mean it, it all sums up i mean it's boredom is it's it's routine it's uh organizing uh the routine the administrative work i mean it's all many different aspects to it um and, and as i said that, that's when they have more difficulty and often as i said they they uh, they drop down in their in their in in their uh, performance. So knowing where 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 you're very good at and 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 providing you with the best uh, assets to to be even better in those abilities is is very important for any any employer. You mentioned in, saying, in, you mentioned intuitive though. Yeah, is that just being able to like. Sent emotional empathy. What is that? Is that being able to sense? No, intuitive is uh, thinking. Uh, uh, for instance, one 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 negative side of into in being intuitive is, for instance, when when which is part of being impatient and being impulsive is when when you're talking with someone and this other person is having difficulties in in finishing the sentence because it's not finding the the, the right word. Um, often you see patients with ADHD that finish the, the sentence for them um, in in many situations, right? Um, you you maybe the word right word or not, but I mean you have the intuition that, that this is the right word. That's an unconscious thing. So um, intuition usually comes is associated with creativity and it's um, having the the spontaneity to to come up with something without. Uh, mm, really being the most uh, knowledgeable about something. Usually that's part of it, a part of being intuitive. And um, as I said, sometimes it, it can have the downside of being uh, putting yourself in a, um, 
in in a situation where you talk too fast or where you talk when you, when what you shouldn't do. Um, but on the other side is that you come up with the with the right idea when when somebody else is thinking and thinking and suddenly you you are you have this creative intuition to with with the right idea. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, do you see any characteristics like that with younger kids? I mean, I don't know how much their educational value is on certain subjects. So I'm just curious if you come across more of them. I'm guessing the hyper stuff, but I would consider that being probably hard to diagnose because how many people would just say, oh, they're just being a child. You know, I got that my whole entire early yeah, childhood. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm, I mean, I'm an, I'm an adult psychiatrist. So, I mean, I'm thinking about adults that uh, it's it's often the case as well. Um, um, I'm curious how someone develops it later on in life. That's is that like a trauma? No, I mean thing? usually it comes from 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 kid. I mean you you always have the ability to 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 come. But don't up. don't they grow out of it too? Some, Steve told Stephen told me that one, it's like one of three adults, and I was like, damn, am I that one out of three that got it still? Because that sucks. But I don't know anything different. So everything you described of like you'll be better if you're like this. I'm like I don't want to know what that different is. I like this. This is what I'm used to. This is what I'm comfortable with. I've set up my life to be able to figure this out. Uh, it is true that there is a percent percentage. I mean, the, there is a remission in 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 the percentage of uh, children and adolescents with ADHD, and that's why, for instance, as I said, the prevalence in in children is approximately about eight eight ten percent. In adults, it's about two two point five to five percent, roughly, um, because uh, there is a number, a significant number of children who who grow out of the the disorder. Now, um, in the milder cases, it, it may be without any treatment, and not solely talking about medication, I'm talking about treatment. Uh, but um, in the moderate or severe cases, uh, the, what we may see is that we could see a, a partial remission. I mean, that you don't have the full syndrome, but you have um, partial symptoms that remain and, and in, interfere with your with your performance, with your functional ability. See, and and I mean, part of helping you to grow out of it, and certainly, I mean, it has to do partly with your brain, and and it, that's why it's called a neurodevelopmental disorder. Uh, your brain can fully grow, grow, mature, and 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 overcome the the problems. But uh, it is more often the case that when this is the case, it's generally because a either there has been a, um, an aware or unaware or, or, or treatment oriented um, uh, from a um, uh, home environment where the the kid has a lot of structure and, and therefore um, in a sense what what all those structure and all your skills all your abilities is teaching your brain to do things differently and it's teaching your brain to use dopamine in a different way than what it's uh, tends to do because of the ADHD. That's what medication tends to tends to do as well, and uh, uh, that's why we re rely so much on medication. And, and uh, it's not and and partly because we have this is probably the the area of the brain where medication has the the largest impact than uh, compared to any other areas now like i said i'm not against medication i'd recommend it if someone wanted to take that route 100 especially if i had a kid with it i'd probably say you know give it a try see if, you know i don't want them to live the same thing with the social isolation aspect that a lot of people don't really understand especially going through school um it's horrible stuff but also you know i'm at the point now where it's like if i have this and this is about me i want to try and find a way to make sure that i can use it to my benefit and not just spend my whole life being upset that i have this you know what i mean that can make you really really depressed so it's like i mean how you look at it yeah no of course and i mean at the end of the day i mean it's a matter of working with a with a patient and uh, it's not a matter it's not something that the the physician has to decide on its own on his or her own um, and again, the patient has cannot decide on his or on her own neither, because I mean there can be side effects, there can be uh, contraindications or whatever, or simply it's not appropriate to to use medication at all. Uh, it has to be um, a, a joint a joint interaction. I mean, 
look at this way. I mean, I remember, and, and nothing to do with ADHD, but um, it's a lot to do with what we're just discussing. I, I have a patient who has a severe anxiety disorder, and she was referred to me after two, three years of uh, psychological treatment. She was referred to me by a psychologist. She was very much against medications. I mean, she hardly could, she hardly could get, get out of home. She was in the late 20s. Uh, she was a dentist um, and uh, had panic attacks almost every day. And, 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 and two years later, and when she was recovered, then she said, "Well, I'm I'm very I'm very pleased. I'm I'm very grateful to you and to your to my psychology." I mean, she continued to do, to go with her. And one of the things that I'm most grateful is that you explained me why medication was uh, was needed. And I, I realized um, along the way when when it helped me uh, improve what I hadn't improved before with the psychological work that she continued to do. And she, she medicaparly medication helped her take more advantage of the psychological work. That doesn't mean that any patient with anxiety disorder has to get medication. Of course not. But that's also our task to assess and help the patient when we consider that medication is a must. Uh, one of the things that, for instance, with medications, uh, we, we know is that uh, in those cases where medication is needed, I mean, um, in the, the duration of illness is shorter when there is a continuity of medication than, for instance, when there is a stop and go. Um, uh, at the end of the day, what uh, you you don't any 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 one of us doesn't want to take medication, you know, for our stomach problems, for our brain problems, or for for our whatever. Um, but if we have to take medications, that it has to be the, the shortest period needed. Yeah, see that stop and go thing. I just don't. I don't know if I will think that necessarily is good. I don't know. I've heard I have friends it's, that take it stop and go, but then I'm like, ah, doesn't that like really mess up your body a little bit yeah, of like doing it? And then of course not. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, if you st- take medication, you need to take it unless until until. It's but uh, at the end of the day, I mean, it's a personal issue about each patient assessing each patient different uh, separately and 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 assess what his or her needs are. No, it's interesting to me because the various perspectives that people either are pro-medication or they're against medication, and then I kind of go into the conversation. I just kind of stick by, I mean, if it works for someone, it works for somebody. But I'm starting to notice that there's probably a very big stigma on ADHD medication because the number of reactions I've gotten between either you or some other people I've talked to on ADHD, I'm starting to realize, is there a stigma behind the, the ADHD medication that I just don't know about, but hey, I'm learning. I'm trying to understand it, but I don't know. I mean, there's a thing with pharmaceutical companies. People just don't have a good reaction towards, and whether that's media, whether that's other things. I think the tide's turning, but I think that depends on the number of people, specifically for ADHD, not other pharmaceutical stuff, because I've looked into other stuff and it's horrible, but ADHD in particular, that think that goes up with the population of people that are experiencing it. More people are going to research into it if they have a kid who suffers from ADHD. It needs to physically affect that person's life, whether it's their kid, whether it's their sister, whether it's their brother, whether it's their mom, whether it's their dad. That's the only incentive they're going to have to want to learn about it. Now, if you start teaching it in schools and having teachers prep on that, because teachers tend to be more empathetic or tend to be a caregiving aspect of things, I think you'll see a tide turn on that. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. Um. I'm not, I'm not sure if I fully un- understood what you, what you yeah, but uh, um, one of the aspects, I mean, I fully agree that there is a great stigma to, to medication and to ADHD, but to, to, it is to ADHD as well. I mean, um, um, the issue is not whether you're anti or pro medication. I mean, how much um, nonsense we hear about uh, not believing on or being against medication. I mean, being an, a negationist, as they were negationists to vaccines or or to whatever illness. Um, and uh, the actual fact is we have children, we have adolescents, we have uh, adults that suffer, and uh, we can give a label a label to it. Uh, we can identify it as ADHD. Um, and and uh, often, for instance, when we see adults in their 30s who come for diagnosis, often many of those uh, have had... Um, um, problems that uh, uh, led them to seek psychological or psychiatric care since uh, late teens or, or early twenties, and often in many of those have, have been through different psychotherapies and different medications, and only partially improved. And non, no one uh, up to 
a point came up to the idea, maybe what you have is ADHD. And when they realize it's ADHD, it's like a relief. It's like everything makes sense to them. Uh, this is quite a common issue. Now, uh, with with um, medication and, and the, the stigma and discrimination about it, I mean, just bear in mind one thing. I mean, um, the first um, um, clinical trials in psychiatry are in the mid in the 50s when lithium and some of the antipsychotics came into the market. Well, that's not true. The first um, clinical trial, the first proper research trial was in the mid-30s with amphetamines for ADHD. So the accumulated knowledge that we have about our medications for over 80 years is so huge with huge databases of patients uh, across all the ages that we can be absolutely um, sure about what we expect or what side effects we can expect in, in most patients. Of course, at the end of the day, each patient matters. and We have to assess each patient separately uh, and assess whether a medication or whether any other treatment is appropriate or not. And in any case, we need to, to provide uh, psychoeducation to the illness, about the illness, what, what to expect and how it affects, to make them understand uh, why they had certain difficulties, why they were labeled as different, why they had difficulties in fitting in, in socializing, in, in, in making close relationships, not making acquaintances, but in making close relationships, why they had difficulties in maintaining a job, in not having academic failure, um, because they were bored, because they were not they spacing out at class and the teacher didn't uh, notice them, whatever. Um, and so making a sense of all those experiences and helping them overcome them and, and see the future different is part of our tasks as, as physicians, as psychiatrists. It should be a task of people to be 100% honest. Yeah, of course. But we also, I think, have the task to to, um, I wouldn't like to, to use the word educate, but then to, to, to raise awareness, make raising awareness about, about a, a very common disorder and a very, um, interfering disorder. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. That's what I'm not standing yeah. up, but hundred percent. That's why your podcast and, 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 uh, actions like that are extremely important. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the work that you do and giving me the time to talk on my show about it as well, too. Um, I'm not, I'm not, it's like, I'm not anti, I want to clarify, I'm not anti-medication. No, 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 I fully, I do, I know, I acknowledge that. And I think, I, 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 I think it is very important that you, you raise that point because I mean, it's not uh, easy and straightforward. I mean, we have to, to, to often to, to deal with resistance about the diagnosis, about treatment, about whatever. Um, we have to face a lot of, um, and, and sometimes it's the opposite. I mean, sometimes patients that they have the expectation that they have ADHD and it's not ADHD what they have. And uh, it's only because my son is 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 Einstein. Well, your son is not Einstein. He's, he's solely just average. And uh, your expectations are, are probably too high for them. Uh, he's very good in painting. He's very good in certain skills. Let's develop that and not assume he's going to be a doctor like you or a mathematician like you or whatever. Well, Jose, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show, man. Is there a place where people can find your links? And I really do appreciate the time you gave me to talk about ADHD. And also, I appreciate the work that you're doing as a physician, um, just helping people out as well to, to be able to overcome their disorder. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, it's really a pleasure to, to be participating in this. I'm on different social media as well. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So well, if you send me all those in an email. I'll make sure I link them in the description. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.